find your place in Luke chapter 2, please, if you would. Luke chapter 2, and um, we are going to continue our few-week series that we started last week called Missing Christmas. Now, as you find your place there, I will remind you uh, that it's easy uh, to miss Christmas in the mess of the season sometimes. It's easy to forget really what it is that we're doing. Uh, It's easy to be overwhelmed by the need to shop, which I'm not even going to ask this week who hasn't started shopping yet for gifts because um, that might be overwhelming to you because I haven't really started yet, and that's just the way it goes. But um, we we get overwhelmed by those things, don't we? Who's going to get a card? Who's going to get invited? Are we going to make the meal? And, And maybe you've learned to manage those things, but if we aren't careful, those things become more prominent in our lives than the reality of the season that we are celebrating. And we wanna be careful as followers of Christ not to miss that. And so around here, we take some time. In fact, the significant part of our time is to look into the Bible because that is what we are. We are Bible-believing Christians and we want to dive into what God has to say to us about this issue. Now, Luke chapter eight, verse 20 is a common uh, passage that is read and understood and even preached on during the Christmas season. In fact, as a preacher now, having preached through the Christmas season, season now, this is my 13th year. Um, I have to admit, maybe a sin of mine is to dread preaching through the Christmas season because there's only a handful of passages and you're like, okay, how do I twist that again? And you don't want to twist because it's scripture, so you do not twist. Uh, but you're always reminded of the reality. And then every Christmas season, God shows up and he shows me truth in the Christmas story in a whole new way. And we celebrate that once again today. And so I want you to look with me at a common story and I wanna show you what I believe God is teaching us here in 2018 Christmas season. It says this in verse eight, Luke chapter two. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone round them and they were filled with great fear, naturally, right? The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ, the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And the angels went away from them into heaven. The shepherds said, to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Bow with me one more time, if you would, as we pray for God's help. Father, we 
we now hush our mouths and we hush our minds and we open our ears and we open our heart and we say, Lord, speak. There is nobody, there is nothing in this room, there's nothing in this world that is more important for us to hear from right now than you. And so speak. Keep our phones silent. Keep our minds from wandering and help us hear exactly what you have for us. And we'll, we'll respond according to your will this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think you probably have noticed that happiness is talked about, expected, and hoped for more in December than in any other month in our culture's calendar. <clears throat> Consider the songs that are piped through your car radio or on an elevator or in grocery stores and shopping malls. We sing more about happiness and cheer during this season than any other time of the year. For instance, have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. From now on, troubles will be out of sight. Think about that. Now, that's a good promise, right? From now on, for eternity, because of Christmas season, because Santa's coming, right? All your troubles will be out of sight. Or it's the most wonderful time of the year with the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you, be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the hap happiest season of all. Like, don't you just get happy right there? Like, you're smiling, I can see, right? Or Christmas time is here, happiness and cheer. Fun for all, the children call their favorite time of year. Oh man, I'm just gonna keep reading because you guys aren't getting it. I'm enjoying these all by myself and that's okay. A beautiful sight. We're happy tonight. Walking in a winter. There, yeah, see here, there you go. Have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year. I don't know if there'll be snow, but have a, ah, I stumped you. Have a cup of cheer. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a, there you go. One man suggested that here's a holiday hit you'll never hear. Have yourself a melancholy Christmas. Hang your head and cry for now on, your troubles will just multiply. <laughs> you don't hear that one. No one wants to deck the halls with downers, right? But despite all the encouragement to have a holly jolly Christmas, there is a problem with holiday happiness, isn't there? The problem with holiday happiness is that the feeling can't go on endlessly. The reality is that for many people, holiday happiness is either unattainable or unsustainable. You see, the happiness of a song during Christmas cannot sustain happiness to the ones who are here today hurting because of a lost job or because of the report that the doctors gave you recently. Sing all the songs about merry little Christmas you want. Those burdens still weigh on you, don't they? because of the significant financial struggle that you are facing or, or, or because of the loved one that has recently died and you are now going through a Christmas season for the first time or many times aching and hurting over the fact that you are not gonna celebrate this season with that person. Seeing all you want about have yourself a holly jolly season or whatever, you're not gonna be able to relieve the weight of those burdens and, and that's why holiday happiness is unattainable or unsustainable. But... Biblically, it is God's desire for you to find lasting joy and happiness. We know that. 
then we must be able, if it's God's plan, because God's will for you is not something unattainable or unsustainable, God's plan for you who are followers of Christ is to experience joy, is to experience happiness. So therefore, we must be able to find that joy in something other than the season or the songs that we sing that are associated with the season. The kind of joy that God desires for you and me to have and that goes deep into our lives and goes long into our future is gospel-centered joy. And so the angels appear to the shepherds and he says to them, don't be afraid because I bring you good news, the gospel of great joy. So here's the big idea that I wanna try to just unpack for you today and pull some truths out that might apply to our season. And that's on the screen. Gospel-centered joy is distinct from all other lesser joys the earth has to offer. Gospel-centered joy is distinct. It is better. It is longer. It is stronger. It endures through anything different than all other lesser joys the earth has to offer. So the angels announced this good news about a savior that had come into the world. And this gospel, and they said it would bring great joy. The word in the Greek is mega joy. That sounds big, doesn't it? Mega joy. Like we're not just talking about kind of joy, little joy. I'm kind of happy. We're talking about mega joy, like big time joy, distinct from any other joy the world could ever offer. Mega joy is a joy so full and forever that it would make every other mini joy fail, uh, pale in comparison. That's what makes gospel-centered joy distinct from all other lesser, lesser joys the earth has to offer. Gospel-centered joy finds its power from the message of Jesus Christ, and it is extraordinary from any of the lesser and temporary joys of this earth. And I wanna prove that to you from our passage and let you know gospel-centered joy is extraordinary because of five reasons, five characteristics of gospel-centered joy that make it extraordinary, that make it out of the norm, exceptional and distinct from all other lesser joys, anything this world has to offer. And so I want you to look at these for the next just couple minutes. And I wanna try to, I want you to leave here happier than you came. You say, well, I came pretty happy. Well, I'm hoping that you'll leave here even more so. And I wanna encourage you with the joy that is focused in upon the Christmas season. And so number one, gospel-centered joy is extraordinary because it is irrelative to circumstances. Verse eight says this, this message came from the angels in the region where Jesus was born to a bunch of shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Say, well, what's the significance of that? Well, if the joy spoken of by the angels was going to be relative to the circumstances of one's life, then it wasn't a good idea to share that news and expect joy from the shepherds. Because if the, anyone should have been allowed or should allow their circumstances to rob them of the joy of the coming of the baby of Jesus, it was the shepherds. 
They were the ones that were in the lowest level of society of that day. They worked endlessly and tirelessly managing flocks of sheep. They were raising lambs to be sacrificed in the temple, but they themselves were social outcasts. It required the men to be away from home for long periods of times. So as they searched for places to graze their flocks, their, their work kept them away from the temple. So they were unclean people. They moved about the country. They were often accused of being thieves. They were considered unreliable. They were not allowed to give testimony in court. They were often crude, vile men known for their sinful lives and evil ways. They were not the kind of people living in the nice neighborhood with the, all of the amenities that you would say, oh, if anybody's gonna find happiness in this, it's them. No, they were the people that we would look at and say, well, we would give them the good news, but their circumstances might rob them of the joy, but not this joy. Because this joy is not suspect or subject to the circumstances of one's life. So in spite of the circumstances of their lives, the angels told them, hey, we got good news and you're gonna be happy about it. They didn't say, well, what about the sheep we're manning or what about the nastiness of our job? What about all of the circumstances of our life? You angels, you know what? You guys just don't understand what I'm going through. The angels said, no, you don't understand the level of joy that I'm talking about. You're gonna be excited about what I'm about to tell you. And so then we see that they did, didn't we? In verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. I mean, I don't know if they could clap. I was, I was up there, Corey started to clap a little bit. I'm like, yeah, let's clap. And then I realized I can't clap on beat. And I'm like, no, let's not clap, right? I imagine they may have been a little bit like me. They're coming back to Bethlehem or back to their flock and they're clapping and they're celebrating. Why? Because the joy that they experienced was a joy that was not relative to circumstances. It was above their circumstances. God's plan for his followers is to have a joy that goes deep so that they are never, there are never any circumstances that can shake that joy. And that's why in Romans 15, 13, he said, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Joy and peace, I love it. One of the greatest Psalms in, in, all, of the, in all of the book of Psalms uh, and the intro into all of the Psalms is Psalm chapter one, verse one through three. You guys, you guys probably know it and memorize it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. <laughs> Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Happy is the word. Happy is the man. The man is full of happy and is a source of inexhaustible joy. That's what he's talking about there. Happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the seat of the uh, in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. His delight is in the law of the Lord. He's excited about the law of God. He's excited about the things of God. And he is like a tree, remember? Planted, his roots run deep and he does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. And you say, well, that tree probably was in a really good environment where nothing bad ever happened to it. And the reality is no, the picture there is not of a tree in utopia. It is a tree that is weathering the storms of life. And he says, in spite of all of the changing of circumstances, he is happy and he is prospering because his roots run deep. That's God's will for you. Okay? Better yet, God promises that we can rejoice even while we are grieved by various trials. You, you might say, well, pastor, look, I get happiness. Like there's times when I'm happy, but look, I just, I just, I can't find happiness in this. Yet the Bible tells us we can find joy in various 
trials and that joy can be inexpressible. Second Corinthians, Paul said that in our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. Like that's logical, right? Great affliction, overflowing with joy. No, very much so not logical. Counterintuitive, contradictory, different than all other earthly joys is this joy because this joy leads a man to say, I am going through it, but I have full of joy. That's what he says. What do lesser joys offer? Well, lesser joys that are given to us on earth are all connected to our set of circumstances. When the things we connect our joy to is going good, then our joy is present. And when the things that we connect our joy to is going bad, then our joy is gone. Look, I just, I just gotta beg you for a second. Don't connect your joy to the circumstances of your life, to the relationships, uh, to the economy, to the health. Don't connect your joy to those things. Connect your joy to the gospel of Jesus Christ because that is joy that runs deep and never wanes. I am suggesting that not that you are giddy and rejoicing over difficult circumstances, but I am suggesting that you can have a peaceful joy in spite of the horribleness of your circumstances. I've done funerals of some of you, your, your loved ones, some of the people, for some of you that as you've laid some to, de- to, to rest and gone through some of the trials that you've gone through, we've been there and tried to be there for you. Many of you have exemplified this in the midst of a difficult situation. You were hurting, you were worried, and you were frustrated but you had a joy that just seemed to overcome, come over you and calm you down. That's what we're talking about. I remember in the Charlie Brown Christmas, that, that good biblical, old-fashioned, traditional story, right? It's in the book of the Bible somewhere. I can't remember where, but Linus said to Charlie Brown, who was having a difficult finding joy in the season, he said, Charlie Brown, you are the only person I know who can take a wonderful season like Christmas and turn it into a problem. And I say that to some of you, right? Some of us are the only people who can take a wonderful season or a wonderful truth like the gospel and turn it into a problem because it's connected to our circumstances. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let that happen to you. Number two, I find from these shepherds who were given the gospel news that it was joy and it was exceptional or extraordinary from any other uh, joy that the earth offers because it is focused on a person because it is focused on a person and that person demands that we understand who that person is because all other persons will fail you but this person that our joy is focused on and connected to is the champion of the gospel. Look at verse 11. So he just gets done saying, I'm gonna bring you good news and it's gonna be great joy for all people because unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior. That's the good news, right? The good news isn't, hey guys, I'm here. We just opened a 401k for you and it's doing really good. Hey guys, we're here. And by the way, we just managed to build a whole new strip of homes for shepherds. It's gonna be great. Hey, by the way, we just changed the laws of society. Now you are the most important people. That wasn't it. It was the good news is connected to the champion of the gospel who is Jesus Christ, the safe savior who can save you from your sin. The good news, the angels showed up that night to deliver was the good news about a savior. The gospel-centered joy is focused on the person of Christ because he is the one who is, again, the champion of the gospel, the secure of the relationship that is now ours with the Lord because of him. So the significance of this person 
The significance of this person is not that he was born in an extraordinary way. The significance of this person is not, uh, again, that he had incredible parents or that he had shepherds or even kings that came and worshiped him. The exceptional element or the characteristic of this man that he is why he brings great joy is because he is the one who died and rose again, securing our hope in the gospel message. His death would bring all of us to be reconciled to the God of the universe from whom we were separated by sin. That's the story of Christmas, right? The advent, the, 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 the uh, incarnation. Like, like, great, we serve a great, we follow a great teacher, we follow a great man, he did a lot of great things, but the greatest thing he did was he shed his blood when he died upon a cross, taking our sin upon him so that we could take his righteousness upon us. That's the joy that is connected to the reality that he is our savior. We were dead in trespasses and sin. We were dead and hopeless without him, but the Bible says that he canceled out our debts, nailing them to the cross in the person of Jesus Christ. And that is the focus of our joy, amen? That's why in the midst of difficult circumstances, in the midst of difficult situations, I can say, you know what? I've got joy because it's not relative to what I'm going through. It's relative to the stability of my savior and he's eternally stable. And I got joy there. The psalmist recognized the enormous joy that comes when we are in a relationship with God. He said this, just think about this verse, Psalm 1611. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So, so here's what he's saying. To be in a relationship with you, Lord, is the source of fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. The joy that God's presence offers is of the greatest quality, fullness of joy, and the greatest quantity, pleasures forevermore. Now you tell me, I beg you and challenge you, come up to me and give me something, an alternative to a relationship with God that can offer you the guarantee that you will have fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And you will never have it. And that is only possible it is only possible when you enter into a relationship with the Lord through Jesus Christ, it is then that you can find fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. It's connected to a person, not a group of people, not, a, not an earthly relationship, not a set of circumstances or material possessions. It is connected to an individual who came as my savior to save me from the emptiness of my sin. The lesser joys of this earth are focused on money, position, health, people, and when those things fail us, they will. Our joy is devastated. So the question for you is this, is does the champion of the gospel, Jesus, bring you deep, lasting joy? Hey, listen, when's the last time you just kind of settled into the reality that you are who he says you are, saved because of the death of Jesus Christ, and you now are justified and standing in righteousness, and you just said, wow, that made me happy. I celebrate that. So gospel-centered joy remains consistent because Jesus remains consistent and he is the focus of gospel-centered joy. Amen? That's the reality. Now, number three, gospel-centered joy is extraordinary because it is responding with worship. It always responds with worship. It is and continues to respond with worship. 
when the news of the gospel is the focus of my joy, what do I do? Well, we do what the, what the shepherds did in verse 15. So they're standing in the field, probably lifted their jaws off the ground, the heaven curtains closed, and they're like, huh, do you guys think we should go to Bethlehem? Yeah, I think we should. All right, let's go. And, and I don't know that it was that way. I think it was like, guys, that's exceptional news. Let's go. We got to check out what's happening, right? So after the good news that brought mega joy to the shepherds was announced, the logical next step was let's get to wherever this guy is and let's worship him because there's something significant that's happening here. The extraordinary joy of the good news that there is a savior to deliver me from my sin drives me to respond in passionate worship. If Jesus is the source of my joy, then I want to lift him up and get more of him. And so I'm gonna go to him in pursuit of him because he is worthy of my worship. Isn't it amazing when you read all the songs that took place during the Christmas season in the Bible? We talk about the, the, the song of Zechariah, the Benedictus of Zechariah, the Magnificat or the, the song of Mary, the song of Simeon, the song of the angels. I mean, I have no idea. I've heard some pretty good choirs, but I promise you they are weak compared to the choirs of heaven, right? To the angel choir. Like just pretend with me for a second that you're there and this curtain opens up and there's these angels and they're all singing and you're like, wow, this is a big deal, right? And that's what they witnessed that day because what the message was was so exceptional and it was so amazing that it brought such deep lasting joy, not connected to circumstances, focused on a person who came to be my savior. My next logical response is to just be in awe of him in worship. Well, you say, well, what's the alternative offer? Well, here's, here's, I guess, the point. Where you seek to find joy is where you are going to prioritize your effort, your time, and your money. You say, well, I, I hope that my next promotion will bring me joy, will bring me some sense of happiness, and I'll finally have arrived. And so what you're gonna do is you're gonna prioritize your effort, your time, and your money into that. You say, well, I find a lot of joy in being healthy. Then you're gonna prioritize your effort, your time, and your money into that. You say, well, I really wanna get more things. So you're gonna prioritize your effort, your time, and your money into that. So if I hope that more possessions will bring me joy, then I'm gonna prioritize again that. If a relationship is finally gonna bring me joy, well, I'm gonna prioritize my effort, my time, and my money into that. If I think that some sensual gratification is gonna bring me happiness, then I'm gonna give my time, effort, and energy into that. And really what happens is this. All those things bring no lasting joy, but by offering on their altar my time, my effort, and my money, I am elevating them as God. And now I've got an idol problem. Gospel-centered joy that goes on and on finds its source in Christ, and therefore we prioritize effort and our money to Jesus. We worship him because he is the one who gives us this joy. Therefore, we sing like we sing, like some of us sing, but we all should sing. We clap. We celebrate. Like, like that's what we wanna do in this place as a congregation is it's not that we wanna say, this is a great song, I love this, turn it up. But that we say, this song is a great truth. This song brings a great life-changing reality and I can't help but be overwhelmed with the joy of the fact that I am what you say I am. 
and I respond because of joy with an, a, a passionate worship that says to him, I'm going to give you my time, my effort, my money, my life, because I love the fact that you've changed my life, and that brings me great joy. Well, what's lesser joy offer? The joys of this earth connected to the things of this earth drive us to need more of those things. If you're going to say, I, want, I need more relationships to get me happy, then you're going to seek more of those. I need sex to get me happy, I'm going to seek more of it. I need money to get me happy, I'm going to seek more of it. I need, I need these things to get me happy, I need more of it. But if Jesus is the source of my joy, I need more of him. And I be in awe of him and I worship him. Do not be mistaken that anything we seek to find joy in other than the Lord becomes an idol to us. If you are not fully satisfied in him, then you are fully satisfied in a lesser God or seeking to be fully satisfied in a lesser God who cannot deliver the joy that you seek that can only be found in him. And so we worship. So does the joy you have in Christ drive you to want more of him? Do you seek to worship him more regularly because you have found in him the greatest joy? Once you find that in him and joy, you will cease all other pursuits of empty joys from all other wimpy sources. And I want to show you a fourth truth, and quickly a fourth and a fifth. When we have gospel-centered joy, it is extraordinary because it is overflowing to others. I love it in verse 17. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So the, she the shepherds, I mean, you've got to laugh a little bit at this. These guys are out in the field manning after sheep and they come running into town. And, and everybody's probably like, what in the world are the shepherds doing here? They're supposed to be out with the sheep. But yet they prioritize the worship of Jesus because they recognize what he had done for them. Now they were in there worshiping Jesus and they come out running through the streets telling people about Jesus. And it had to be ironic for these people or somewhat strange for them to be like, what in the world is going on here? Like, like, there, there's some weird situation taking place here that the shepherds are telling us about some guy that was born in a stable. Here, here's what I learned about this. Your attitude is contagious. Your attitude is contagious. Whatever your attitude is this morning, you are going to attempt, whether intentionally or not, to be bringing others to join you in that emotion. The more extreme your attitude is, the more you try to affect others. So there's some of you who are battling with the sin of discouragement. And I mean, the real sin of discouragement, not the things that bad things happen to you, but you're just, you're just willingly discouraged about something that you should just be able to overcome and trust the Lord on. When you're discouraged, you mope in. You're waiting for people to ask you how you're doing because you're about to dump, back the dump truck up and pour it on them, right? I'm just gonna give it all to you. You want people to feel your, 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 your discouragement and, and that's contagious. It's contagious. It, it spreads like a wildfire. Bitterness. Have you ever been around the bitter person at the Christmas season? You come singing, have yourself a mirror. And then they're just like, they rain on your parade and they just say, you can't sing, you can't carry a tune, shut up. And you're, you know what I'm saying? Maybe you don't have relatives like I have, but they're mean and they hate me, I think. But um, when you're a bitter person, you always seek to spread your bitterness. You say things like, let me tell you what that person did to me. You gotta do it with the scrawl on your face, right? You try to spread your negative attitude or you end up spreading your attitude unintentionally. Why? Because your attitude is contagious. 
It's not God's will for you to be discouraged. It's not God's will for you to be bitter. It's not God's will for you to be depressed or offended. We know some of those are the reality of life, but that's not God's will. But when you're offended or, or, or by someone or something, you attempt to spread your offense so that others will join you in it. Can you believe what that person did to me? And that's our attitude. But listen, here's the beautiful thing. When my attitude is full of joy because I have disconnected it to my circumstances. I have hitched my trailer to the joy that Jesus brings. And now I am worshiping him, not the things that I hope will bring me more joy. It overflows and it floods other people's lives. And that's exactly what happened here. When a baby is born, can't help but come in joyful, right? When you win a championship, high five, man, that's awesome. We can't help but be excited about it. When we hear and understand the truth of the reality of Jesus Christ and what he did for us, that joy should bubble up in us so much so that it overflows into the lives of others so that people have to start saying, dude, calm down. You're way too happy about this Jesus thing, right? That's good joy. This is what happened with the, with the shepherds. Their joy was not contained in their own hearts, but it overflowed to those around them as they headed back to work. Back to work. Look, it was Monday. And they were headed back to work, and guess what they were doing? Yes! That was amazing! Thank you, God. The joy of the gospel is contagious. It is contagious. So God, ever, forgive us for ever being a group of people who just do church, just play church, just come and sit in our chair, just to go through the motion. May we ever be a people who are so overwhelmed by the reality of the gospel, overwhelmed by the reality of what Jesus did for us to save us who were broken in sin on our way to eternity without him, sought us, saved us, justified us, clothes us in righteousness, and one day will call us into eternity in heaven because of the fact that Jesus came to this earth. May that forever be the source of our joy and may that bubble up in us overflowing into the lives of other people. Amen? May we be a people that don't just sing joy to the world. We are bringing joy to the world. That's the goal. And so reality is this. May our church be full of people who overflow with joy so that you can't help but walk in on a Sunday morning and be like, wow, this place is a happy place. I'm not sure why, but I want some of it. Whatever they're drinking, I'll take one. Do you recognize this, that what attitude you have affects others? And if you do, then if it's not a joyful, content in Christ attitude, then you are bringing a negative element to the Christmas season that I think needs to be repented of. Do you find such tremendous joy in the gospel on display during Christmas that your joy overflows to those around you? Look it, I know this is hard, but in Walmart, the most joyful people should be Christians. Driving up and down Ellsworth, <laughs> Lord help us, the most joyful people should be Christians. That person who drives up the shoulder and cuts everybody off should not be Christians because they make me mad, right? But in spite of that, disconnected from my circumstances, my joy stays true. When the lost world around you can see that in spite of your circumstances, listen to me, please. In spite of your circumstances, you have a deep joy that they can't find anywhere. They will seek to discover the source of your joy. And may the answer be a resounding, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. When bombs blow up, they always impact the people closest to him first and most, right? When the bomb of bitterness blows up, you're always gonna affect those closest to you first and most. But when a bomb of joy blows up, 
You never heard a bomb referred to, or joy referred to as a bomb. But when that joy bomb blows up this Christmas season because you've been impacted and overwhelmed with the reality of the gospel, may the people around you be impacted most and first with the overflowing of the joy that comes from your life. And then lastly, number five, gospel-centered joy is extraordinary because it is perpetuated throughout all of life. I've already alluded to it a second ago, but in verse 20, he said this. After the whole event was over, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now think about this. I just had to put myself in their place for a minute and think. So the event was over. And it was like, okay, well, what do we do now? Guess we go back to the sheep. So for them, it was, I guess we go back to being the outcasts of society. For them, it was, I guess we go back to being the people that our family's ashamed to have as a part of the family. I guess it's, we just gotta go back to work, right? The Monday blues was about to set in, but not for these guys. Why? Because their joy and their happiness was not connected to their circumstances. It was focused on a person. It was responding in worship We know that it was overflowing to others and it continued throughout their life. It wasn't connected to an event. Their joy wasn't connected to the event of the birth like our joy is often connected to an event in our life. The problem with our joy that's connected to an event is that after the event is over, our joy goes with that event. But gospel-centered joy lasts long after the Christmas season or the excitement of the event is gone. Gospel-centered joy doesn't get the Monday blues. It says, regardless of my situation, as hard as it is and as heavy as this weight is, I will continue finding joy in my Savior because it perpetuates into all of my life. So the joy that this earth provides, temporary at best. When the event is over, the money is gone, the relationship ends, the job is lost, the health is struggling, our joy begins to slip. We get the Monday blues all over again because the weekend is over and it's back to reality But for these guys, reality was a whole new thing because it was now focused in on a person. The fullness of joy, Psalm 1611, and pleasures forevermore was now a reality for their life. So here's the big idea. Here's what you need to leave with. Gospel-centered joy is distinct from all other lesser joys the earth has to offer. There is no joy on earth that even comes close to comparing to the deep lasting joy that comes from the good news of Jesus Christ, having come into this earth, lived the life he lived, died the death he died, raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, securing my salvation. There is no greater source of joy. You will never find true deep joy that is consistent through the ups and downs of life in anything other than Jesus Christ. If you're waiting for me to be the source of your joy, I appreciate the compliment, but I will fail you every time. If you are waiting for this church to finally bring the joy that you are so desperately looking for, I want you to know that we are a people full of disappointing joys. The only joy we can give you is to push you to Jesus. And this joy is distinct and it is extraordinary because it is irrelative to circumstances. It is focused on the Savior. It is responding always with worship that just gets more of the Savior. It overflows to others and it is perpetuated throughout all of life. So here's the three takeaways that you need. I give you permission to forget everything I said up to this point, but not these three things. These are the three questions that I need you to answer 
and be honest with yourself about. What is your joy in life built upon? What is it that you are depending upon or waiting upon for your joy to be maintained? That's, that's all the first question, the, the first part of that question. Number one, what is your joy in life built upon? So what is it that you're saying, if I finally get that, I'll finally be happy. If it isn't Christ, then you're in a tough spot because everything other than Christ will promise you joy but bring you disappointment every time. And so you need to ask yourself that question. Am I looking for the season? Am I looking, is there a gift that my spouse could get me that would finally bring me happiness? Or if it's anything other than Christ, change it today. Let him be the focus of your joy. Number two, here's a big one for you. Please listen. Who in your life needs to see your joy and be drawn to your Jesus? You know, your attitude this Christmas season says a lot about your Jesus. Don't be the person that is the problem. Be the person that is the joy. When your Jesus is the Jesus that I know of the Bible, then your joy overflows into the lives of others. And the world we live in is on an endless journey to find joy and they are looking in all the wrong places. If you have found the mega joy that the gospel brings, And I'll tell you, you need to know that there are people who need to find that and you can share it with them. Hey, Andrew, why can you be so happy, man? The line at Walmart went to the jewelry section. It's Jesus. I'll tell you, man, aren't you just glad to, I mean, I've got to be weird about it, but at the end of the day, the answer is Christ. I've got hope. I've got life. I've got eternity because of Christ. And you need to know my joy isn't because I have cancer or because I don't have it. My joy isn't because my job is good or my job is bad. My joy is in the consistency of Christ. And friend, you need to know him. So who in your life needs to see your joy and be drawn to your Jesus? And number three, when was the last time you reviewed the wonders of the gospel and were filled with mega joy? Don't become that person. You know that person, right? the stale person that's so used to the gospel message that it's just kind of second nature. Yeah, amen. I think this is, yeah, this is the spot I say amen, yell it loud, amen, right? Don't be that person. Be the person that is so sensitive to the reality of the gospel that a tear still streams down your face. Be a person that is so sensitive to the reality that you are nothing but a broken sinner without Jesus. And yet this Christmas season, we hold, uh, we held in our hands so a couple thousand years ago, but we have the reality of salvation because a mother brought him into the world. Be overwhelmed with the reality that you have an eternal home in heaven because Jesus left his home in heaven to come to this broken earth so that he could die for you. Be overwhelmed with that. Take a moment sometime this week Christmas is next week, by the way. Take a time, sometime this week or, or in the next weekend, and just stop. Seriously. All of the earth will still spin if you stop, promise you. Just stop. Be quiet. Turn off the noise. Open the Bible. Review the gospel. See yourself in it. Read Romans 1, 2, 3, and 4 and just see yourself in the gospel and then close the Bible, be filled with mega joy and respond in passionate worship. It's okay. 
It's okay to lift a hand. It's okay to lift a voice. It's okay to lift a heart and say, yes, I am who you say I am. That is where my joy is. And I hope that one of these three takeaways will be the reality of your next week and a half. And I pray that way. Let's pray. <clears throat> well, Father, I, uh, I hope and pray that joy is not just a topic of conversation. It's not just a passing truth, but that it is a reality of our life. That it is a consistent, ongoing emotion in response to the reality of the gospel. God, help us from being, keep us from being a people who are, who are so, um, who are so used to the season, who are so used to the, uh, to the story of Jesus, that are just so used to the gospel that it just, it doesn't affect us anymore. May it never be. Help us to see that our attitude is contagious, whatever that attitude is, and help it to be joy. Help us to review the gospel and be overwhelmed with the reality of what you've given to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the reality of joy that is ours because of Christ. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.